Well, uh, looks like a small cast tonight, but that's cool. Uh, we can roll with that. I actually have quite a bit of stuff. Let me okay. muting YouTube because apparently I'm getting some feedback there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, uh, welcome everybody. Uh, for those who don't know, I'm uh, Cujo or Josh. Uh, we got Dan up top here. He's five zero seven. We got Dave over here. Have you ever picked a call sign, Dave? Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. We got Al something Alex like gr here. Grumpy old guy FPV <laughs> or something. Old... There you go. Um, so uh, I'll go ahead and get started. Uh, we got a little bit. Uh, I got a little bit of stuff to cover. And let me see if I can make this share my screen. Do what I want it to. There we go. All right, so can you guys still hear me? Yes. Can we see my screen? Not yet. Yes. You can see okay. your screen? Yes, just uh, click in the top oh, of where it says watch stream. That's right. Just want to make sure to we're ready that. to go there. What am I looking for, Alex? Uh, top right of the screen should say watch stream, and then you click it. There we okay. go. Perfect. All right, so... Um, so beta FPV, I wanted to start off with a little bit of FPV uh, straight up news. So beta FPV launches a new sub 250 Cinewhoop. Um, it's called the Pavo 30. Um, and it's the company's first three inch pusher style whoop. Um, let's see. So uh, with little fanfare, the new drone was released overnight. Here's what it looks like. Um, there we go. And uh, Beta FPV has some copy on its website describing its feature. Uh, the Pavo 30 quadcopter, a new concept, a three-inch pusher drone developed by Beta FPV, is going further in performance, durability, and power uh, with brand new power system. It's powerful enough to carry a SMO a 4K camera or a customized naked camera for all FPV freestyle tricks and can also carry a GoPro for some simple action flying. This three-inch whoop drone can meet more high-quality shooting needs. Uh, pilots can enjoy an incredibly stable and clear HD footage video while in the FPV flight. Uh, there's a video. Um, oh, let me link this real quick. This is just... Um, it's, I think, the top story on there. Sorry, it's just the uh, main page. But um, so the motors, instead of... Um, by pusher, uh, we're referring to the motors being mounted upside down. It's literally pushing air down and away rather than the more traditional configuration. Um, but uh, it um, it has an analog VTX, uh, comes with a toothpick, uh, all-in-one 35-amp uh, flight controller, 1505-3400KV motors, and HQ75 five-blade props. Um, they do have an HD digital VTX um, that uh, will, uh, I believe it's the Cadex Vista. Um, and uh, it's a pretty incredible little guy. Um, love to get my hands on one. It's got a, uh, looks like a, I don't know if it's carbon fiber or what frame. And then it's got the uh, shroud around it. Um, so the uh, standard analog version that doesn't come with the 4K camera sells for two thousand or two hundred nine two thousand. And if you want the Cadex Vista, it's three hundred nine ninety nine. Um, and it's more powerful than the popular Beta ninety five XV three. Uh, so cool little guy. Um, so uh, I'd love to see some. Let's see what the video is real quick. Abby. Yeah, that looks like a GoPro video. <laughs> <laughs> so it looks like it's got some isolation for the camera. So that's pretty cool. Neat little dude. I'll play the whole video and take up the whole stream. But uh, um, yeah, I'd love to see some, some people uh, working with that. Um, 
Next, uh, DJI releases the Air 2S. Uh, it's packed with an impressive camera and incredible range. So this is an update uh, to the Air 2. Um, this one runs uh, $999 for the basic package, and I think it's $1299 for the Flymore uh, kit. Um, and they have upgraded it in three different areas. Um, so it has a, they upgraded the image sensor from a half inch to a one inch. Um, it has additional object sensing technology, uh, which makes it safer to fly the drone around trees, wires, and obstacles. And the range, they've basically doubled the range of it um, while streaming uh, HD. Uh, it's nearly twice as far as the original Air 2 and a real world range of approximately a mile. Um, the downside is it's not compatible with the DJI motion controller nor the DJI uh, FPV system. Um, and the expectation is that they're not going to make it compatible. So I thought there were rumors that it would work with the DJI V2 goggles. But is that not so, the case? Uh, there was another press release that I did not include today, but I did read it and it says it's not going to be compatible. Hmm. Um, so, uh, that's interesting. Feel free to, if they're both if using OcuSync three, but I have not heard that they work together. But yeah, so um, the one inch twenty megapixel image sensor image sensor is uh, capable of running five point four K video at thirty frames per second, four K at sixty, um, and one hundred and fifty uh, megabits per second. Um, and then there's different zoom levels depending on the resolution that you choose. Um, yeah, $12.99 for the uh, Flymore package, which includes two extra batteries, ND filters, a charging hub, and a shoulder bag. Fancy. <laughs> All right. Um, we'll move on to some more interesting stuff. Um, this is out of Florida. And this is some regulatory. <laughs> out of Florida. What? That's a famous way to start a sentence, right? <laughs> or is it usually florida man <laughs> right so this particular bill uh it is hb 1049 and i did post a link to it there um it's three pages long it's not that long it's not a hard read but basically it is uh saying by January 1st, 2022, the department in consultation with the state chief information officer shall publish on the department's website a list of approved manufacturers from which a governmental agency is authorized to purchase, otherwise acquire, or use a drone as provided under the section. An approved manufacturer must provide appropriate safeguards to protect the confidentiality, integrity, and availability of data collected, transmitted, and stored by a drone. The department may consult federal agencies and any relevant federal guidance in developing the list of approved manufacturers required under this uh, paragraph. So essentially what this does is the government uh, of Florida will be selecting drones that they deem appropriate for any of their uh, government agency, which is any state, local, uh, state, county, local, or municipal government. Um, which means that they can effectively curtail a, a business from being able to do business with the government and it can drastically impact um, some smaller companies from being able to uh, basically work with the Florida government in terms of them being able to use their drones. Um, so... Basically, the term here is picking winners and losers via state legislature, um, which is never a good thing. And we've talked about this similar kind of situation before with the federal government, and it's uh, kind of curtailing of DJI's uh, drones um, due to country, you know, the company's country of origin. Yeah, I'd, I'd um, say, in, in my opinion, the better thing to do instead of saying, here's a list of drones you can buy is... A drone you buy must meet XYZ standards for safety, yeah. for security, for whatever, not just flat out say, here's the three drones you're allowed to buy. Yeah, and I would I would completely agree to that. I mean, it would give 
essentially, you know, and we've talked about this a lot, a means of compliance for companies to follow to be able to do business with, you know, the government, whether it be it federal or, or you know, state. Um, so, you know, I, I feel like this is a, a pretty raw deal. And um, I don't, uh, Dave, you probably know a little bit more. This is still under, uh, you know, it's not law yet, correct? That's, that's correct. It's still draft, and we're working with the uh, uh, Drone Service Provider Alliance, uh, Kenji Sugar, Vic uh, Moss. And so we uh, uh, we hope to have some uh, views and the language, and certainly if you live in Florida, uh, this is something to pay attention to. And if, if, we, uh, uh, if we can, we'll provide um, some sample uh, copy, and I would ask that uh, you contact your uh, Florida State Legislature, and uh, this is uh, we don't this is their the house in uh, in Florida at a state level, and uh, yeah, and just as uh, Josh said, we we don't look at this uh, in a positive view. Uh, this is uh, restrictive, and uh, we're concerned that uh, Florida, much like uh, many other states, are starting to uh, put uh, drone legislation in place, and that's uh, it's not a positive. Yeah, and I think the hard part is, is, you know, while this would be, you know, for governmental use, so, I mean, you'd be looking at possible civil uh, civil government organizations, maybe like uh, infrastructure inspection, uh, which is a topic I'll touch on a little bit later uh, this evening, but, um, or, uh, you know, police or, uh, or law enforcement, I should say, or, I mean, even... Any kind of state fire insurance, search, yeah. fire, search fire and rescue. rescue. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it says that uh, by July 1st, 2022, a government agency that uses any drone not produced by an approved manufacturer shall, shall submit to the department a comprehensive plan for discontinuing the use of such drone. The department shall adopt rules identifying the requirements of the comprehensive plan required under this paragraph. So it's just like, mm, wow. Can the plan be I will continue to fly it until it crashes and doesn't fly anymore? Right. <laughs> I mean, Probably that's pretty not. comprehensive. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just I'm not keen on on legislation picking winners and losers uh, on companies. I would rather see, like Dan was saying, uh, a means of compliance if you're that concerned about uh, all yeah, those different Yeah, if they're worried about areas. privacy, then say, okay, it must meet these levels of privacy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not just, yeah. oh, it must be manufactured by company ABC. Right. And I would completely agree with that. And so, in, in as much as uh, Rotor Riot, Get FBV, and Race Day Quads are all located in Florida and they're mm -hmm. in headquarters, I've reached out to all three uh, today. And so to make uh, make their management aware, and uh, mm -hmm. we'll we'll provide them with whatever information that that we can. Yeah, I wonder how Excellent. often some uh, government body in Florida would use like a custom built drone for anything. Well, I mean, at some point, I I mean, any type of drone that that you know is you know manufactured would be custom built at some point. And I think that it, it really lessens the ability for companies to compete with, you know, other, you know, the, the chosen ones, um, for, you know, that, that government, you know, money and that government contract. And that's just, I mean, yeah, with that's this, just a bad deal all around. Would this cover state universities or, um, anything that's bought with a grant from the state or anything like that let's see i tried to figure that in reading i i could not uh, figure that out okay. from my yeah, reading, so it's very I vague i was worried about that yeah uh, clearly if that um, is the case then that would really limit and hamper some uh drone uses in some research and development of, at universities and whatnot high school absolutely high school. Technical schools, universities, mm -hmm. absolutely. STEM schools, all those yep. things. Yep. Absolutely. So, <laughs> all right. Well, we're a, a Florida high school, and we have a FPV racing team, and you can only use <laughs> DJI <laughs> FPV racing drone or something like Skydio. Yeah, all Skydio. Right. All right. So, uh, bad deal all around, and and even further, obviously, you know, more drone regulation is just uh, beyond just being 
ridiculous and uh, whatnot. It's just we're getting to the point where it's becoming a patchwork, and this is what we, you know, really strive to avoid. You know, it's easy to rules. It's not easy to follow 500 sets of rules. <laughs> and, you know, when a state says something and then a county says something and then a city says something, you know, and trying to keep up with all those things and operate a, a drone business of any kind, whether it's, you know, racing or STEM or, you know, even just digital photography uh, or aerial photography, it's just a bad deal all around because, you know, a lot of a lot of people travel to do these jobs and keeping up on all these regulations is uh, it's pretty rough. So I, I the easier it is, the, the better it's going to be for everybody. And it's something uh, I'll touch on again a little bit later. Yeah, that, that kind of reminds me of the uh, if you if anybody travels for work, um, you might end up at the end of the year having to file taxes in like 20 different states and yeah. every state slightly different. Two days, if you've been there, you have to file it sometimes a week. It's just it's absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely. So it's just, you know, more for more for a, a company to track. And, you know, it's uh, pretty crazy. Altogether. All right. So um, part 89 remote ID for drones is effective April 21st. Hey, that's today. And the clock starts ticking. Um, so there is a lot uh, in the bottom of this article that we've covered the differences between standard remote ID, remote ID with a broadcast module, free zones, all that kind of stuff. So I'm not going to really touch on that so much as I am uh, kind of where we are. Um, so the FAA is implementing uh, a new rule, Part 89, which will create a regulatory environment wherein drone operations can be fully integrated into U.S. airspace and enable greater commercial operational uh, capabilities of drones while pro uh, while promoting safety and security. Um, like uh, Part 89, like Part 107, is sure to further increase the market for drones, which is now expected to grow to $63.6 billion by 2025. Where's my share of $63.5 billion? <laughs> Uh, it's predicted that drone growth will mainly occur across five main industry, industry segments, agriculture, construction, and mining, insurance, telecommunications, and law enforcement. But niche operations will benefit as well. Part 89 is effective as of April 21st, 2021. Uh, the original date was March 16th, but due to uh, administrative issues, the FAA moved the date to, to today. Um, so while Part uh, 89 uh, will create the regulatory certainty that will grow and solidify the commercial drone market. Drone operators, and especially manufacturers, will be subject to a tremendous number of new regulatory uh, requirements for compliance with remote identification. Um, Part 89 requires virtually all types of commercial drones to broadcast remote ID messages via unlicensed radio frequencies that will be compatible with personal wireless devices. Consequently, Drones are subject to various types of new operational performance and message element requirements. These new requirements require drone manufacturers to comply with many new regulations, which entail a plethora of filings with the FAA and other forms of rule observances to ensure compliance with Part 89's design and production rules. Moreover, drone manufacturers will be subject to FCC radio frequency equipment rules. So uh, a lot to kind of unpack there. But uh, Dave, you're shaking your head over there. I am because um, the whole all of the work that we're doing with the ASTM, that's F3411 working group. And so this is the remote ID working group. And I've joined the working group and I, I'm playing a infinitesimally small role in the amazing work that has already been done. As I've uh, described before, we're creating an update to the standard that already exists from ASTM on remote ID that will be approved by the FAA, and that will constitute a means of compliance. That will allow manufacturers to use the ASTM standard like a recipe, build to those specs, and then they'll only have to create a declaration of 
compliance. So it is fair that the author of this article describes a plethora of uh, requirements and specifications, etc. However, uh, a significant amount of work will have been done for any manufacturer building either a standard remote ID UAS or a broadcast remote ID. So while, while it's true, it's a, probably a little sensational. And, and I'm yeah. delighted to work with the ASTM to make this a lot easier for manufacturers and more available and hopefully lower cost for us. Um, it goes on to say most of the production and design rules are effective as of September 6, 2022, but manufacturers of remote ID broadcast modules are subject to the means of compliance requirement, FAA inspection and audit procedures, and certain other regulations by April 21st, 2021. Um, the operational requirements are effective as of September 16th, 2023. So... Well, I would say yes, uh, remote ID broadcast modules can now start being built. I don't think they're, I mean, or start being designed, I would say. I don't think anybody's building them yet, but um, that's, I mean, that doesn't really kick off today. I think that's more of just a, you know, you can start possibly, you know, submitting that kind of stuff. But there's, again, with the ASTM standard, that's going to be your recipe for for creating these things. And so. our, our our target is the summer of this year, so June July. The mm -hmm. the objective is to have an FAA approved means of compliance, and we would. Uh, and oh, by the way, the hundred or so uh, individuals who are on this working group uh, are members of uh, all of the drone major drone companies, as well as uh, UTM uh, and USS companies. So uh, everyone who's that I'm aware of who's interested in uh, building a module or a, a remote ID UAS is uh, working on this, uh, on this standard. Absolutely. So um, look forward to seeing what comes out of the ASTM working group and the, that standard and getting that out to all those who are going to hopefully be helping us stay in the air and comply with you. So uh, that'll be a good, um, and all the ASTM folk, thank you for all the work you're doing. We appreciate it. All right, so here's my fanboy moment for the day. Uh, we have the Ingenuity. Uh, had a 40-second flight. Uh, <laughs> the video is actually doing something, I promise. Um, yeah, it's hard and to this see, but taken... those propellers do do something, they, right? They do spin, <laughs> and it goes up. This was taken by uh, Perseverance uh, watching its uh, little it the brother. R are there, is the rotor RPM really at twenty seven hundred RPM? Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty ridiculously high. So that's like that's like a high uh, high performance three D helicopter, right? Yep. Um, there's, there's so a very supposed... thin atmosphere there. So. Right. Yeah. Great. So it's got huge blades spinning ridiculously fast and. Uh, um, Flies for about 40 seconds. It's a, I think it's scheduled for four more uh, 90 second flights um, over uh, its lifespan, which is not going to be very long. But you know what? We <laughs> a total flew. of five flights. Is that all it's planned to fly? I think so. Yeah. Well, let's hope it. And it's more like the rovers that were planned to be on Mars for like 90 days and were there for 10 years or something. So, right. Yeah. yeah. Let's hope it does uh, a little better. But. You know what? We flew a rotorcraft on, on, on a different planet. <laughs> Got to so. start somewhere. Those, hey. ro those rovers were powered by PowerPC processors. Really? <laughs> designed by IBM. You know, yes, my they, favorite... Yes, they were. My favorite uh, random <laughs> nerd trivia. So the flight computer that was on the Apollo uh, spacecraft that actually landed on the moon was less powerful than the original Game Boy. Oh, yeah. Figure that one out. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Those guys are right. real, real men. Flying so I got... Those. What's that? I said they were real men flying those, those yeah. uh, moon those, uh, spacecraft. My word. So this is a picture that uh, Ingenuity took uh, facing down of its own shadow on Mars during its uh, inaugural flight. Um, and really cool story, um, uh, that I, for some reason didn't know in all my fanboyism here, uh, was that there is a small piece of 
the uh, right plane fire. Uh, right underneath the solar panel on this thing, and that's awesome. It's about the size of a postage stamp. So uh, a little piece of history went with us uh, planet, and that's awesome. Um, and Wash Bucket says that the Mars helicopter is also running Linux, so open source oh, software. Oh, hey, cool. look at that. I'm a fan of that. <laughs> yes. I've tried Linux. I just story for another time. <laughs> um, so I thought this was really cool. Um, and I had no idea this was a thing, but NASA's Ingenuity drone could potentially glow during its flights on Mars. Oh yeah, I've and, seen videos of stuff like that. Yeah, so and this is a phenomenon uh in, with helicopters uh in sandy areas uh on Earth. Um so it basically says uh, the tiny rotorcraft managed to take off for a few seconds and land without any major incident. We also learned that the Martian atmosphere could potentially create enough static to make the copter glow. Uh, the Martian atmosphere is so dusty, the spinning blades of a rotor aircraft like the Ingenuity could potentially create enough energy to visibly glow. Um, and well, I hope uh, they try to fly it at dusk or at night so we can see that. <laughs> oh, it'd be gorgeous. Uh, the glowing phenomenon uh, is called the Cop Etchels effect and most often occurs on our planet with rotorcraft in sandy environments, um, like military aircraft operating in the desert. And you can see uh, this is a Chinook um, that uh, has this going. Uh, any drone pilots out there, anybody who watches this, um, if you have pictures of your drone doing this, I want to see it. Uh, I, I'm serious. I live in Arizona. I've, to be honest, I've only flown a handful of times at night, and but uh, you know, never with so much dust that it creates this. But, would it man, require I would the that. propellers to be made out of a certain material to get the effect? I don't know. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I know the the metallic, one on ingenuity. I think they're carbon maybe? fibers. Ooh, they're. They're conductive. Little, yeah. What do you, what do you think, Alex? Little, uh, little metallic paint. Well, he would just put the gem fan LED props on there and call it good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> call it good. Yeah. That's funny. But I would love to see this. This would be amazing. And uh, yeah, so another nerd boy moment. Um, and uh, I did want to read this. Uh, this comes from Bruce Simpson. Most people know him as X Jet. Um, and he stops in here every once in a while. Um, he posted an article. So today we flew or not an article, but a post on Facebook. So today we flew a drone on Mars. Congratulations, NASA and the team of thousands who achieved this wonderful result. However, what about the hobby that was the genesis of much of the innovation technology and experimentation that ultimately made such a craft a reality? What about all the avid RC hobbyists who, for more than a decade, have been experimenting with multi-rotors long before there was anything available off the shelf? How much of what was achieved on Mars today owes its origins to a bunch of keen amateur enthusiasts who were simply driven by a desire to have fun and create something new and different from repurposed electronics and RC model parts? What a shame that politicians and regulators don't stop for a moment and recognize what damage they're doing to our future by regulating this hobby out of existence. They're more than happy to get to pat themselves on the back for NASA's achievements, but without the hobby doing the groundwork, we would not be flying a copter on Mars today. We should remind everyone of the debt owed to the ho to this hobby by those who continue to push the boundaries of exploring our universe. And to me, that was a pretty inspirational post. Um, at the same time, you know, uh, it really does. I think a lot of uh, this, uh, not only just... Um, ingenuity but even perseverance and the the rc modeling con community on on flying robots on mars and and stuff like that uh, i i i feel like a lot of this stuff came out of the basements of, of people's workshops you know and so uh and that's why we're here is to to keep this hobby alive and and do what we do so i did want to read that i thought it was really cool um and uh, we do appreciate uh, Bruce Simpson and, and the work he does. Um, next up, we have, uh, this came from the FAA safety team to my email today. 
Uh, part 107 pilots, the operations over people rule is effective today. Remote pilots operating under part 107 may fly at night over people and moving vehicles without a waiver as long as they meet requirements defined in the rule. And there's a link to the rule. Um, airspace authorizations are still required for night operations in controlled airspace under 400 feet. Currently, Lance only allows for approval of daytime authorizations. However, the system will be expanded to allow night authorizations by fall of 2021. In the interim, night authorizations at or below the approved altitude in the UAS facility maps will consist of two separate authorizations that combined allow you to fly at night. Uh, you'll need a daytime authorization and a national authorization, which extends the duration of a daytime lance authorization to allow nighttime operations for the same date indicated on the daytime lance authorization. It's a lot of authorization. <laughs> um, if your operation requires you to fly above the UAS facility maps at altitude, you will you must use drone zone for your authorization. So um, let me pull up this. Um, so so while those who are while you're looking for that, this is a, a little little piece of trivia. When this when the rule of uh, about uh, flying uh, at night was uh, going through the the process with the uh, after the rule is out for n number of days there's a period that you can uh, ask for comments with the uh, the omb effectively it's the white house or the office of management and budget and create comments the people receiving the comments are really not allowed to respond they can just ask you questions and so the the comment i made to to uh, to the group uh, on this piece of regulation was hey lance doesn't work for this authorization so now we have, you know, so, you know, and they were like, hmm, we, we were not aware of that. And so it was, uh, so pretty nice that where they commit today that they will have Lance to be able to create an authorization at night. So, you know, is that, uh, you know, correlation there, uh, you know, couldn't hurt. So we'll take, we'll take partial credit for that one. Yeah. Take it where we can. Right. Um, second to this, uh, keep in mind that hobbyists can still have been able to, and, uh, and continue to be able to fly at night without any of this process. Um, if you are flying in controlled airspace, however, you do, uh, Lance, uh, authorization. And not over people. Yes. And not so, yeah, the, the corresponding, well, before... go ahead, go ahead, Alex. I was going to add one small thing before we move to the next one. Yeah. Um, this the website thefasafety.gov i would also encourage uh all you pilots to go make an account because they'll there's a bunch of people who will who do webinars or presentations all about mm -hmm. aviation so not just drones but for us most likely drones would be where you'd be looking for and they'll talk about and go in depth of all different kinds of things and if you also want to learn a little more about manned aviation too there's all those resources and training on this website. So this is a very informal, in, informative website where you can mm -hmm. learn a lot more about safety. And if you make an account, they'll send you emails when there are events in your area. Mm -hmm. Alex, could you, could you put the URL in the chat? And everybody, don't just go crazy and go flying at night and flying over people now just because the, the rules say you can, because the rules have a lot of gotchas in them. You have to meet a lot of requirements before you are allowed to be able to do those things. For example, I think like flying over people, if I've got this right, one of the ways to do it is if you fly something that's less than 250 grams and it has the propellers all guarded. So you can probably mm -hmm. fly a tiny whip over people which is fine, but you can't fly even a Mavic Mini over people because as soon as you put prop guards on, it's over 250 grams. Uh, or if you want to fly something over 250 grams around or above people, then I think it has to have remote ID and nothing has remote ID yet, so you can't do it anyway. And the over people is also for 107 too, so yeah, you need it's not recreational, 107 it's certificate 100... as well. And I think it's not just 107, but it's people who have passed the renewed test from yeah. like the past yes. couple weeks are the only people who can also. Yeah, I did attach the final rule uh, down below, so 
you want to dig into that. Um, this came out uh, right at the same time as Remote ID. Um, and, uh, yeah. And while all of this sounds painful, this is good because if you're a Part 107 pilot and you wanted to fly at night, it was previously more difficult than we've just described. So we're, we're making, this is progress. While it, while it is a little hard to fathom, it really is progress. Uh, and it is easier to fly at night with your uh, 107. Mm -hmm. All right. Oh, that's the wrong article. Um, so uh, I, I'm shooting for a little redemption here. Um, this was a new uh, volcano video. Um, that uh, um, came out, I do believe. And uh, I think I saw Team Black Sheep post this originally um, a couple days ago. And uh, this is pretty crazy. I wish I had a park with a volcano in it near me. Right? <laughs> it's crazy. But then I would probably melt a lot of things. Yeah, <laughs> I think I would too. Isn't that the point? Well, you know... I would sacrifice for oh, this. Man. I mean, oh jeez. Like if even one of those little slabs of magma, <laughs> like it's, it's over. Doing a building dive basically down the side of a volcano. Oof. Yeah, this is pretty incredible. Between so. two of them. So tough recovery if you crash. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, could you imagine if it landed somewhere and crashed, but it was between lava streams and you could <laughs> see it, but you couldn't get to it? Yeah, no. It's and you know you got a GoPro guns. full of some <laughs> awesome video feed. So pretty impressive flying. Um, I will uh, drop a link to this. Uh, really uh, hats off to this pilot. Um, let's see. I think... Uh, I can't, I'm not even going to try and pronounce it, so um, good job, guy. Do you think there's uh, a drone in the air around that volcano it. at all times? Or there's like a lot of people flying around it? Because there's a lot of good videos from it. I have, uh, if, I mean, if, if, it, if I live there, I'd be there. Yeah, it could be. What a like great a use of group. Yeah, what a, and what a great use of drones. I mean, no one mm -hmm. is putting themselves at risk. It's just tailor-made. So and there's great. no UTM keeping them all safe. <laughs> Sick burn. <laughs> All right, so um, I'm gonna wrap up because uh, you know I don't want to take up all the time. I'm sure Alex has some fun stuff for us this evening, um, but uh, and I'm not gonna go through this entire article. If you've got a spare, you know, 20 minutes, uh, I will drop this. This is a actually a pretty good. Um, article on the use why america's infrastructure needs the drone industry and <clears throat> i'm just going to call out a couple of of key statements right here currently 42 percent of all bridges are at least 50 years old and 46,154 or 7.5 of the nation's bridges are considered structurally deficient meaning they are in poor condition the nation needs a systemic a systematic program for bridge preservation that like like that embraced by many states whereby existing deterioration is prioritized and the focus is on preventative maintenance. Um, so uh, it says America is now poised to spend a historic amount of money on building and reinvigorating its infrastructure and human capital. As exciting and as revolutionary as this proposal is, something we haven't seen since the New Deal Putting that kind of money into legacy procedures and workflows isn't going to get us there. To achieve the results of the New Deal, we need to use the new technology that is available to us today. With an additional emphasis on drones, uh, Biden's proposal would no longer be geared towards just fixing and maintaining our infrastructure, but rather modernizing America, creating innovative, future-proof, technologically and environmentally sustainable jobs and infrastructure. It would be proactive rather than reactive to the infrastructure needs and updates. It would stimulate the growth of a new category of safe inspection jobs in the USA. Um, it says drones are the only way to inspect America's infrastructure in time. Um, and that's in time to save a lot of the deteriorating infrastructure. And I, that's something, honestly, that I would agree with. 
Side note, this picture is actually from Oregon. I've flown that bridge. Um, <laughs> not well, but I've flown it. There's a giant chasm underneath it. Um, but uh, yeah, pretty cool to see that. So um, this is a list of, you know, it's probably not all inclusive, but um, primary demand areas for enterprise drones. Um, transportation, there are 4 million miles of roads in the United States. Uh, transport uh, number of bridges six hundred and fourteen thousand three hundred and eighty-seven uh, miles of rail, one hundred and forty thousand miles, uh, five hundred and fifty thousand miles of telecom. Uh, that's just the uh, number of cell towers. Um, so you know, I'm not going to go through everything, but. Drones would be a perfect use, uh, provide a ton of jobs for a lot of people um, in uh, our our neck of the woods and um, be able to really revolutionize the ability to inspect and uh, maintain, you know, our infrastructure. Uh, America is a big country, and I think that a lot of things get neglected in terms of our roads and our uh rail and our bridges and all those things and i don't think it's on purpose it just is what it is it takes time to inspect a bridge i think it was i was watching a documentary on one of the bridge i think it was golden gate bridge and the maintenance that they do they start off on one side of the bridge and they work towards the other and by the time they actually make it you know whether it's a year two years three years i think it's a long period of time to just do the preventative maintenance on it and they just have to start all over again, as opposed to, you know, being able to inspect it quickly and efficiently and be able to do maintenance on the spot, that kind of thing. Um, it's, I mean, it's a no brainer to be able to use something that can get up in there in small spaces, take high res pictures and be able to inform uh, those who need to know what's going on. And uh, that's just one, you know, case point so uh it's a really good article i would recommend reading it um it's long but uh you know well worth the read so on that note i'm going to hand it over to uh either dave or alex whoever wants to take it from here that's you alex <laughs> i figured <laughs> all righty so a couple weeks ago we had the mayhem team race uh that ended up with Team Heart of America taking first place, Team Velocidrone taking second place, and uh, Team White Goat taking third. In total, there were, I believe, over 10,000 laps by all the teams combined. So can you tell uh, me a little bit, what about, what is Mayhem, anyway? What do you mean 10,000 laps? I that last time. Did, was everybody... <laughs> so Mayhem's a, uh, Mayhem's a dawn to dusk. 12 hours of racing. Uh, it's a team race. Uh, so the goal so is to see who can get the most laps race. in 12 hours? Is that how it works? Yes. Most laps yes. in 12 hours. And what was the winner? So, the winner got how many laps? Uh, I, I believe the final lap count for Team Heart of America was 1,672 laps. Yikes. Wow. They... Team Heart of America was leading for most of the race. Uh, then towards about three quarters of the way through, Team Velocidrone took the lead. However, mm -hmm. something happened uh, towards the end of the race and Heart of America took back their lead. Uh, Team Velocidrone finished up with 1,664 laps, so only about a eight-lap difference there. Wow. In 12 hours, an eight-lap difference? <laughs> Yep. And how approximately how long does it take per lap then? Uh, it seems like the laps were averaging around twenty three seconds a team, or <laughs> twenty three seconds around that time. Yeah, it'd be within eight laps, uh, twenty three seconds a piece. That's pretty close. Yeah, I think the hot laps were around just over nineteen seconds. I'm not sure. I know there was a, some people betting money on if uh, pilots could do. Uh, under a 19 second lap uh, i'm not sure if that happened but there were some close ones to sub 19. um that was the um, so like uh, the teams 
So for Team Hard America, those the members were uh, Evan Heads Up, FPV Turner, and Paul Nurk Nurkula. Uh, we have I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, but it's Christian Amari. Um, or Amari is his pilot handle, and then we have Timothy pilot handle Sky, uh, Alex Chief Campbell. I'm not sure how to pronounce this other guy's name, but it's Mondo. It's his handle. Uh, Nicknack is the next guy's handle. And then Shames for Sean Ames. Uh, that was Team Heart of America. Nice. So two DRL pilots and several other top pilots. Um, then another thing to talk about for... Um, racing in general is some people don't know how the timing works so with timing in fpv racing uh By some, some people, people do you mean dave <laughs> 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 yeah yes <laughs> but they uh, they still think that we use uh transponders for <laughs> however this is not true <laughs> um we just use our video signals since we're all on 25 milliwatts output power uh their timing system checks the rssi of the video and whenever that peaks it counts that as your lap hmm. okay so the drone is broadcasting a video signal at a, a constant strength basically as it's flying around the track and when it gets close to the start-finish line, the device can see that the signal strength is increasing, 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 and all of a sudden it'll start decreasing, and it'll say, ha-ha, when it got to that peak, you passed the start-finish yeah. line, I'm going to count your lap. Yes, and then on top of that, there's a threshold that it has to hit as well. So even if it does peak somewhere else, on it, say you fly by it on another section of the track, sure, and it peaks there, it... It has a threshold where it has to peak. Yes, it has to peak above a certain amount, and then it will count that. And the timing system, I know, will go at least uh, three decimal places. Um, so okay, very pretty accurate or and, pretty. Yep, and races will be as close as less than a hundredth of a second. That wow. happened this weekend. Wow, <laughs> and I'm, would, sure, uh, I'm sure they have to design the tracks with this in mind so that they try to keep. I was going to ask some of the the la some of the parts of the track from coming too close to the start finish just to make sure yes. the timing is more reliable. Yes, however, there are also some ways where you can help prevent that by putting RF shielding, so like some copper tape around the side of the timer that's facing where okay. the track is. Gotcha. Or angling the timer so it's pointing outside of the field where it's just hitting the start gate, or you could even put it under the ground a little bit. Sure, so, so it can it's only just see like looking straight, straight up. up. Interesting. Very cool. So that's a little bit how the timing works. It goes, then hooks up to the computer and usually use a software called LiveTime. And you can do a lot of design in there. And that's, you can even live stream races through that system as well. Cool. So I know a lot of uh, like goggle modules and stuff also have a lot timer feature on them. Um, is that a good way that you recommend to practice if you're doing uh, practice runs? I believe that only is on the TBS one. Is it only on TBS? I thought it was. I on think so. Maybe I'm wrong. I know my TBS. My my TBS has it. So yeah, the Fusion. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the only one that has it. However. Um, I'm not sure how many people actually use that. I know a lot of people will use the Emergent RC Lap RF Puck, or mm -hmm. I think uh, people also used to use the TBS uh, Lap Timer. There's a smaller one that they had, but I think people stopped using that just because it wasn't kept up with. And then... Some people will use the Delta Five race timer, which is an open source timer. So that one can track up to four or eight pilot. Well, actually, can they can track however you set it to, just right. how many nodes you're willing to build and pay for. <laughs> Very cool. But for, at race is the most common timer that you'll see for timing everything. 
is the Immersion RC Lap RF 8 way. Um, it, that is very well designed and very common at races. Uh, one that you used to see was the TBS event tracker, but they stopped making that one. And then the other second most common one you'll see that races will be using is the Delta 5. Very cool. Anything else for us, sir? Um, not that I could think of. And next week, I'll I'll save next week or not next week, but next town hall for going over the parts that were used at Champs by the top pilots. Nice. When's your quit, next quit. race? Uh, May second. Ooh, coming up. You ready? <laughs> Are your drones quads ready? Are working. <laughs> your quads are working. Well, well that's a good start. Racing quads are working. <laughs> my, my primary racing quads are working. My backups, okay. not so much. <laughs> well, you need to you need to get busy on that, sir. Eh, I survived this last weekend. Okay. Well, tell me I that. I had to use one drone. <laughs> well, tell me. Wow. You weren't going hard enough. You're done. <laughs> right. Yeah. Hey, I did better than I thought I would. I was keeping up with the faster pilots. That's awesome. Good for you. All right, Dave. What do you, next... you got anything to wrap us up with? Uh, just uh, we are with the ASTM work. Uh, we've uh, we're working on a, a little bit of a snag. It has to do with vertical accuracy of uh, GPS, and this is a uh, a good example of the ASTM uh, digging in and uh, finding uh, smart people all over the uh, industry the GPS industry, radio frequency, aviation industry, manned aviation, uh, to help out and to figure out uh, an issue. And this is in, the, in an effort to get that, uh, M, that uh, approve, FAA-approved means of compliance done for remote ID. So that's one of the things we're working on. And a couple of uh, wrapping up uh, uh, some DAC uh, write-ups and presentations in preparation for the June 23 Drone Advisory Committee. Um, very good all right well with that uh everybody's been really quiet yeah. today anybody else have any questions that we can help out with i all take right. it that that means nobody has any questions <laughs> all right well thank you all for joining us uh this evening hopefully uh some of the stuff was a little informative and uh we will see you uh, two weeks from now. And uh, let's see. I just got to check. Will we have results from? Oh, yep. We'll have results from Alex's race. So um, <laughs> hopefully he doesn't bomb out. He can he can give us all the deets on that. So um, best of luck to you, Alex. And uh, um, hopefully you do great. And uh, with that note, uh, I will let uh, all of you go and enjoy your week and have a lot of fun flying it's great weather out there so thank you